welcome to Solutions from the Yard, a candid discussion about life behind bars and its effect on society. We'll discuss reintegration or re-entry back into the community post-incarceration. Your host for this episode is Charles Hopkins. Welcome to this edition of Solutions from the Yard. I'm Charles Hopkins. I'm joined here with my co-host, Michael dickerson Hill. Our colleagues uh, should be coming shortly. If not, the show must go on. Uh, today, we'll be talking about uh, homelessness and juvenile delinquency. More specifically, we'll try to examine some of the problems that is caused by uh, juvenile delinquency and homelessness. Now, according to a study, it says each year 4.2 million youth and young adults experience homelessness, approximately one million youth becomes involved in probation and the incarceration system. With these numbers like this here, uh, Mike, from your own observation, how do you see uh, homelessness as it relates to juvenile delinquency, more specifically uh, youth as a result of not having a place to stay or a stable environment? Uh, how do that play into them becoming delinquent, for lack of a better word? Um, well, from what I've seen in the past, and, you know, and especially since I've been, you know, released back into society, uh, you have a lot of generational trauma. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I see, a lot of generational trauma. You know, uh, a lot of this stuff started from, you know, the crack era, the PCP era, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Because a lot of the youth that you see, they they have parents that was grown, I'm old, was born in that era, mm-hmm. grew up in that era, and then they turn around and had a child. And you you see how the traumatization of what happened in the streets during that crack era. Because you got to think, back in that time, DC had the highest murder rate in the mm-hmm. nation. That's right. For like three years straight, I think it was like from 87, 88 to 89, they had the highest murder rate. And you had a lot of, lot of the, the streets just changed. There was mm-hmm. a lot of violence going on. Um, crack was one of the most devastating drugs that ever hit the United States. And, you know, you just basically seeing the results of that now. You're seeing the results of, of, of children that was born by crack uh Mothers that was on crack, mm-hmm. um, then they turn around and have children, and you see in the results of that is just that generational trauma from the drugs, the violence, and the stuff that we seen back in the eighties, and now you starting to see it in the youth because it's like those households are so unstable. A lot of the youth wind up leaving home because there's no food in the house. Um, the parent. It's not a parent's not able to take care of them. Mm-hmm. So they, you know what I'm saying, they forced to go out on their own. And this juvenile delinquency is based on once the child have to become a criminal to survive. Mm-hmm. And see, that's what's happened. A lot of children nowadays, they are, they are put in a situation either they're going to be standing on the corner um, bumming for nickels and dimes mm-hmm. and pennies or they're going to go out and do what they have to do to survive. And that's what you, a lot of that you are seeing today. And, and and you you hit on a point about uh, the how living in an impoverished environment based and and that uh, a drug infested environment and we know that like you say this is like was a, a pandemic nationwide and DC had a 
what they was called the murder capital of the world at that time. But can you uh, dial down on the, in terms of living in an impoverished environment and the single parent, the lack of a father in this environment, even though it's a impoverished environment? Do you think it would have made a difference if it was a father in the household and and uh, having that male presence to be able to give the children some kind of guidance, do you think it would have made a difference or you think it would have been all one and the same? Um, I'm, I'm going to speak from my own perspective mm-hmm. um, because I grew up with a father in the household, but I also had other individuals in my neighborhood, which my neighborhood was a residential neighborhood, it was other individuals that was hustling. They were selling drugs. Mm-hmm. You know, when they was in that limelight, then I had friends that didn't have the father in the household. So I think that for me, it plays. Uh, it's a it's a double it's a double edged sword because how our community started falling was once the drugs started coming in. You had the father start getting high. The father started getting locked up, getting these life sentences mm. under crime bills, things of that nature. Fathers getting killed. Mm-hmm. And no, that trickled down to the household. So it's kind of like a double fold. Uh, you know, like I said, it's a double-edged sword. It has the, the crack and drugs has something to do with it. Right. Then that took the male out of the household. Mm-hmm. Once the male was taken out of the household, now you have these children that has that imbalance in the household. Right. Because, you know, a mother, she can, you know, she can provide and do whatever she can from a feminine aspect. Mm-hmm. To for a male child, but she can't supply that masculine because she don't have it. It's not in her nature. So you know when you have the dynamics of this single parent household, there's gonna always be an imbalance in raising the children because you got to have the yin and the yang. Right. You got to have the you know the male. You got to have the female. You got to have the dominant masculine, and you got to have the feminine. So therefore, the education that's coming out of the household is gonna be incomplete. That's right. You see what I'm saying? It's going to be incomplete because you can't have one without the other. That's why God made it so man and wife can join and then procreate. And that's how it's supposed to be. You see what I'm saying? It wasn't no such thing as a woman can have a child on her own and just raise them on her own. Mm -hmm. No, you need both to to produce and you need both to um, to raise them. Look, let's let's examine this here because you made made the observation that... uh, as a result of living in an impoverished environment and all the uh, effects of that environment, that uh, juvenile or youth, they take on the uh, mentality of like either becoming baggers or becoming outlaws or becoming outside stand. But let's look at, and we and you, me and you was talking about this one time before how we never seen so many young people that have like a, 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 a bagger mentality. What do you think that where it's like an acceptable? It's like gangs of them, you know, six, seven of them. You know, they don't have no issue with like being in the subway, being in a train station. Just ask for money. And just ask for money. Where you where you think that 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 the acceptance of that type of mentality come from? Well, one of the things that I see is, uh, you know, once that welfare was implemented into the single parent homes. It, it 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 teaches dependency, mm. 
And once it teaches dependency, a child, if, if, if they only have one parent in the household, which is the female, and he see his mother depending on the government for funds, things of that nature, and then he know that everything basically is coming through the government. Mm. So now you're being taught to be a dependent, right? Then because mm-hmm. that's all you see. Yeah. See, a child emulates what they see as they growing up. Especially, like I said, when you have the, the male and the female in it, they're going to emulate both. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? When they they grasp what they see and what they learn, they learning to be dependent. So therefore, a lot of them don't. And if you don't have a male dominant figure teaching you, hey. You need to go out and get a job and handle responsibilities that a man is supposed to have and teach them the responsibilities a man going to have. Now, he when he don't have that, his only way of, of finance or how to get something is to wait for it to come to him. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? He don't know how to work for it. He wasn't taught how to work for mm-hmm. it. He's not taught how to be responsible for himself. He's taught that, you know, he or she is taught that, hey, the government is responsible for taking care of me. Right. You know, so they have that mentality. If if somebody's not giving it to me, then how am I going to get it? They don't know how to get it on their own. So, therefore, you know, they, now they resort to however they learn how to mm, get money. That's right. They resort to that. And a lot of times that's where they come from. That You know, where, where you know, you see a lot of the youth now, they standing on the corners asking for money. It's no different from a mother going to the government say, hey, I need to sign up for food stamps. Yeah, that's right. It's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. You see what I'm saying? So they, they create, you know, I, I believe that that's being created through that system. You know, once the once the father was taken out, a major source of the income was taken out, then it's all on the mother, and the mother might not have no education, whatever, due to her traumatization of all the things that happened to her in her past. She can't hold the job. So now, you know what I'm saying? It just it's just a generational snowball effect. And that generational trauma and, and we recognize that uh in in the study it says that uh the juvenile the delinquency behavior results from uh no structure in the child's life. So we got a child that's like accustomed to be a bagger, then they, they drop out of school, they become truant and in their truancy they be on the streets and be idle and subsequently they'll Subject to be arrested and put into the system. Now let's talk about that uh, in terms of like juveniles being uh, arrested and put into the juvenile delinquency system. Do you think the juvenile delinquency system is is cap- has been uh, effective in terms of providing the youth with structure and getting them to be able to look at themselves and be make be able to be critical thinkers and make the right decisions, or you think it's just like a a stepping stone to the the next step in the lab, which is the adult system. No question, you know that's what I without a doubt a contradiction. You know you can do any type of statistics that you want. The average person that was in adult prison was incarcerated as a juvenile, so that's no question that you know it's nothing but a stepping stone, especially if the proper education is not done there. Mm. You know most juvenile facilities are gladiator schools. Yeah. You know when I was in what was called Lawton of Reformatory, they had a. Um, you know, a, a, a particular prison in Lawton called the Youth Center, Youth Center One. Right. And everybody know that ever been down Lawton know that Youth Center One was called Gladiator School. That's right. And that's what gladiators do. They they keep fighting and fighting until they reach the highest goal that mm-hmm. they can. 
And that's what that's what youth center was. It was the breeding ground for us to continue that type of criminal behavior, lifestyle, institutional uh, thinking and lifestyle. So, you know, the juvenile system, it, 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 it just basically it breeds that because once you. Uh, get a taste of that and start to, these things start to get habitual. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That's all you know. Then when you come back home, you didn't learn nothing. You didn't get no type of trades, none of the above. But one thing you did learn how to do is survive by, you know, that concrete mm-hmm. jungle that that's you right, was in. Right. And then you don't do nothing but turn and that's a transferable skill. You come out <laughs> to the street and then you do the same yeah. thing. You know, until you get caught up as an adult. That's right. So it's just like, like you said, it's just it's like graduating from um, high school, going into college. Right, and like you say, uh, uh, that, and that's that's the first time I heard that one. A transferable skill. Uh, I'm transferring my delinquency into my adult uh, criminal behavior. But and I and I and I recognize that you know, going back to what you said earlier, like Boys Village. Everybody I talked to that was an adult facility, they had. The, the boys' village stories. Everybody I talked to that was in a adult facility that had their uh, youth center one s- stories. Everybody, then they graduated to, and, and it'd be like a, a mob. But let's talk about, uh, in terms of like the generational aspect of this, of the, this whole juvenile phenomenon. When we look at, I was, I was 12 years old, or I was 9 years old when I was in boys' village. Now, I'm 35 or 40 years old or 50 years old, and I'm in Butler. And I look over on the other side of the bunk, I see my son, and then I, I, and another unit is my grandson. Have you witnessed that in, 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 in your period of incarceration where you had three generations of families, male families in a prison system, or maybe not only three generations of male families, but uh, extended family, cousins and uncles? Talk about that if you can. Yeah, I've witnessed that on numerous occasions. I've been in I've been in several prisons where I didn't, you know, witness the father walking around talking to his son on hmm. the compound. I've witnessed that on numerous occasions. And uh like like you said, it's um it is sad to say, uh, because, you know, a lot of youth they learn how to glorify that, mm-hmm. you know. Like my father, he was putting in work down, Lord. You know, right. my father, man, you know, he had all the drugs around here, mm-hmm. and, and you know, it's basically like I say, the child emulating what they see, mm-hmm. see what I'm saying, and see, and that's why I say, drugs played a big part in that. That's right. Because when them drugs took the father out of the household, either by being on addiction, mm-hmm. death, or incarceration, or they was actually in the game. When they was when they would when they when they took them out of that household, now what a child is going to emulate? Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? What is he going to emulate? You know, a lot of the children you see or youth you see, they uh they don't they have a I don't care attitude because my father got killed. Right. You see what that I'm trauma, saying? That trauma. And see, all that trauma plays a part. You know, oh my father, man, I don't really know my father. He been down Lord my whole life. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Or my father, you know, he decided to leave my mother. He out there getting money, but I don't really know. Him. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? And see how the them drugs and stuff like that, all that stuff play a, a, a major role. You know, and, and like I say, it's it, it's what the child see. 
And you know, because the first the, the first teacher of a child is not by what the parents say, it's by their current to their right. actions. That's right. And if that's the actions that they see, it's, it's a strong possibility that's the actions they're going to follow. And and that's and that's a good point because we recognize that, like you know, most children, when you have the parent, both parents in the house, and you had a father in the house, and the father like uh, working, he going out, he, and he coming back and provide, and he uh and and the mother she's you know being there as a disciplinarian. Regardless of what happens with the child, they have some structure. They choose to go outside the structure. It don't be the lack of. But when we when, when what we was talking about earlier, when we see how uh one you create a welfare mentality, mm-hmm. two you create an environment where the impoverished you're so impoverished that people rely on alternative means to get the income. And that results in like, like you say, uh, the the father being killed, uh, or the father being locked up, and uh, when the father's gone, then the, the children are left without a, a head of the household, for lack of a better word. And then that results in them being no discipline. And the mother, in 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 her defense, she tries to do whatever she can, and a lot of times she don't know what she don't have the ability to like really be. Uh, productive in terms of like provide, so as a result, the child is left out on their own, which leads to like the delinquency and homelessness. But let's talk about some of the things that uh, can be done because we recognize the lack of education. Let's look at some of the things that we know that uh, without uh, any structure, as we see now in this in, in DC right now. They is the, uh, the large percentage of the violence that is being perpetuated in D.C. is by young people, and this is a fact. Eighteen year old, ten year old, twelve year old, carjacked, killed, and and like you say, they don't have no conscience. What can be done? What do you think? Some a solution to some of the problems when it comes to dealing with our youth. What do you think that could be some of the things that we could be doing as opposed to like taking up the dust all the playbook? Lock them up and throw away the key, or create another uh, draconian laws, or you know, oppressive laws like, oh, well, three strikes, or if you're 19, you know, yeah, they what I'm saying. Right. Um, uh, man, without speaking radical, <laughs> uh, you know, um, I'm gonna try to stick to this narrative. Uh, what needs to be done? Um, I think that. First and foremost, re-educating. Mm-hmm. Re-education is, is, is very important. Um, and when I say re-education, more education to not just the youth, but to the parents. Mm-hmm. You know, when a lot of these uh, single-parent homes, you know that they they have single... Instead of just providing them with welfare, you know, all these other things... Provide them with some form of counseling. Mm, that's right. See, because I'm like this, it's no different from the return to citizen agencies. You got a lot of return to citizen agencies that's, you know, giving ex-convicts the leg up, helping them out with whatever they need to help them out with, you know, with housing, you know, food assistance, you know, all these all these different agencies that they have for that. All right, they need to have agencies specifically for single parent homes. That's right. You see what I'm saying? Instead of just having these agencies just for return to citizens, have agencies for 
uh, single parent homes to educate the parent that's in that single parent home raising these children how to do things. Mm -hmm. Point out to them with the trauma that they've gone through. Do certain assessments on mm -hmm. them. Just like we mentioned before, like a, 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 um, a, a, pr a prisoner, before he comes home after, especially he's done 20 years, 30 years or whatever, he should be assessed, mentally assessed before he get out. Mm -hmm. So he can have a diagnosis. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So he knows what his issue is right. and how to... Um, you know how to address that right. issue. So it's the same thing with a lot of these agencies. They need to come up with agencies that teach the the single parent the same thing. Mm -hmm. Assess them, see what their issues and what their problems are, and then come up with an educational system because we can point out the problem, and, and that's the whole point. We just said, okay, drugs is the right. problem. You know, the father not being is the problem. Okay, we know the problem. Now, these agencies are supposed to come up with the solution because you right. know the problem. That's man. right. That's right. That's right. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's one of the things that I believe where the root of it should start because it always start in the household. Mm, that's right. So all these single parents, instead of just giving them food stamps and, you know, putting them in Section 8 and all that, no. Educate them to raise themselves up so they can be educated financially mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying so they can stop being dependent right. and get a job because a lot of single parents out here got some good jobs yeah. that's right you see what i'm saying i know some single parents that's making over a hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars a year mm -hmm. you see what i'm saying so therefore that's the whole thing that i think that need to be done when it come to that focus on the single parent homes how to properly educate them you know, get them the legs up to get degrees mm -hmm. and stuff like that so they can get out of these impoverished neighborhoods. Because one thing we ain't going to stop in here in the United States, crime is not going to stop. Mm -hmm. Drugs is not going mm -hmm. to stop. So, therefore, these are the things that we know. We know that these drugs are in certain areas in, in, in our city. Mm -hmm. You ain't going to see nobody standing on the corner uh, selling no weed. In the, in the sandwich bag straight on Georgetown corner at, on the Banana Republic. Like, <laughs> hey, hey, I got 20s right here. Yeah, you're that's not going to see it. Not seeing it. So, mm -hmm. I mean, we're going to keep it real. You're not going to see it there, but you're going to see it in these impoverished neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. So, these are the things that need to be taught to the parent so they can be well grounded on what to see and not to fall into those traps. Give them the leg up. Um, you know, you got all these agencies throwing away all this money. All right, throw away some money so that she can go back to school. Mm -hmm. That's right. You see what I'm saying? Throw away that money. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, start trust funds for the child so when they do graduate from high school, they can move up to higher education. Mm -hmm. See what I'm saying? These are the things that need to be done instead of just giving you some welfare. Right. You know what I'm saying? Just like Jesus said about the fishing. Mm -hmm. That's right. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to keep fishing for it. I'm paraphrasing, mm -hmm. but I'm not going to keep fishing for mm -hmm. it. I'm going to teach you how to fish. Right. And that's the thing we need to be done to these single parent homes. Teach them how to fish instead of keep fishing for them. Right. You know what I'm saying? Teach them how to fish. And you know what? And I like the way you unpack that because when we look at the solutions, like you say, so we, uh, Dr. King called paralysis of analysis. And that's basically saying, like, I know what the problem is. So you do, you get, you start analyzing to the point where you become paralyzed in terms of like the analysis, but you ain't got no results. But, you know, the way you unpacked it was, like you said, in terms of we recognize the problem, the trauma. 
So why don't we have trauma agencies that coming in to get the parent to understand that, look, you're traumatized. And as a result of this, this traumatization, you know, it's affecting your children. But however, this is what we're going to do in terms of reversing that process. We're going to intervene. And another good point that you hit on was, like, we throwing money to the winds. But, like, why wouldn't we, why wouldn't we set up uh, trust funds for the children? To, and in doing so, inspiring them to say, like, listen, well, you know when you, you know, you have this money available to you to advance your life. And in advancing your life, you have a quality life because you have money to help you do that. And you had a parent encouraging a child to say, like, yeah, you can be something and you can be something because you have the finances to be that. But so in terms of solutions, we recognize that the as opposed to the government constantly uh utilizing these impoverished conditions to in, infuse more money into the police, to infuse more money into like having people to be uh to maintain a subjugated mentality. If they took that money and they put it in the community to empower people, get people to see themselves self actualized. Yeah, I can take and be something when I get when I, I no matter where I'm at, I can be something because I have value and you teaching that value in in your assessment of them. Yeah, so that's what we're looking at today. We're looking at how do we change this narrative. Mike, you got the last word on this. What do you want to say? Um, I, I want to say, you know, uh, like with this conversation, it needs to be heard so it can bring you to a form of consciousness. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, you know, a lot of our people, they asleep by the narrative of what they see, this Instagram, TV, and, and they just unconscious of, they thinking like this just the way life is yeah, for right, right. the black man in America yeah, or the black yeah. woman in America. That's right. And that's, that's why I the say truth. these yeah. conversations need to be talked about. And, you know, one time my father had a conversation with me, man, and uh, it, 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 it was real uh, enlightening because I didn't look at it that way. You know, like you got this inclusionary zone. Mm -hmm. And he was saying, man, you know, that's good that they doing this for some of the people that's of low income because it's giving them the chance to live around a different environment. I don't want to name the race, right, right. but it's giving them a chance to live around a different environment and see something different. Mm -hmm. When you see something different, it starts to give you some form of hope. That's right. Like, I can do this. That's you right. see what I'm saying? And, and that's what I think that, you know, some of these things kind of like need to be focused on is is giving them a vision that can it can be better instead of giving them a vision that is just going to constantly be like mm -hmm. this and get worse. You know, we got to give our people of something, some form of hope, a beacon light to mm -hmm. look at. And when you see that beacon light in that example, then that that's the that's the sparking the consciousness of change. There you have it, solutions from the yard, sparking the consciousness for change, giving people hope by giving them an uh, opportunity to raise up out of the muck and degradation that they find themselves in. Thanks. Thank you, Dickerson. Thank you. You've been listening to Solutions from the Yard. This podcast is presented by Voices for a Second Chance, a comprehensive re-entry program that provides culturally appropriate, trauma-informed, gender-specific, and peer-based services. For more information, go to info at vscdc.org or visit our website at www.vscdc.org.